Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, yeah. Bet online. It's bet online and betonline.ag, baby. Uh, I love bet online. I'm not much of a sports gambler, but man, there's something really exciting, especially this time of year with March Madness and things wrapping up. But, you know, mostly for the fights. When it comes to UFC, boxing, that kind of stuff, it's just so awesome to have that available for you and to get the odds and stuff to understand what's coming before the fight even arrives. Bet online is definitely the only place on the internet you need to go when it comes to sports and sports information and sports betting, okay? Not to mention, they have all of your favorite casino games right there, 24 hours a day. Uh, Multi-hand blackjack, poker, roulette, all of it. It's all right there, betonline.ag, one of the sponsors I'm most proud of. They work very hard to make sure that Mikey Likes You comes your way. So if you have anything in your brain that leads you to want to be interested in sports, you have to go to betonline.ag. Do it for me, my friends. Hey, fellas, I don't like the idea of you having to suffer through performance problems in the bedroom it, it's very natural happens to most men and when that does happen why should you be exposed to even more embarrassment or suffering and the awkward problems of having to go to the pharmacy and the doctor's office and talk about this whole thing no 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 no. get some blue chew in your life Blue Chew is an amazing service, okay? A unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable tablet, and it's at a fraction of the cost. And the best part to me, it's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. So if you could benefit from some extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for Mikey Likes You listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use the promo code M-I-K-E-Y. That's Mikey at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code Mikey. Receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank you so much, Blue Chew, for sponsoring this podcast. Listen here. If you're dieting, if you're watching what you eat, eventually your sweet tooth is going to come to get you. Cravings will creep their ugly head and rear them, and you will be in a bad way. So be prepared. Get yourself some Magic Spoon. It's what I do. I get it for my daughter. I get it for me. I get it for my wife. Everybody loves it because there's amazing flavors, and you're talking about 140 calories per serving with no grains and 13 or 14 grams of protein. It's a really, really tasty treat. It's a guilt-free trip back to being a child and having those sugary, totally decadent cereals, yet there's no guilt of all the decadence because it's not in there. Just the taste is there. It's a, it's an amazing combination. All the taste, none of the problems. Like I said, 140 calories, 13, 14 grams of protein, and real quality ingredients. Magic Spoon is, in fact, magic, okay? And I got a deal for you, my Mikey Likes You listeners. Go to magicspoon.com slash Mikey. Grab a custom bundle of cereal. Try it today. Be sure to use the promo code Mikey at checkout. Save $5 off your order. Get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Mikey. And use the promo code Mikey to save $5 off. Thank you so much, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. All right. Hello. It is me. 
I'm Mikey of Mikey Likes You. I want to do something a little bit different, I think a little bit special for today's episode, and that is a Q&A, which I know you're thinking, well, that's not special. You do it all the time. I know. I want to do a Q&A exclusively for my patrons. Normally, I ask people via my social, so it's really open to anybody, and I like that. I like, you know, interacting with people, but... I wanted to do something that was just kind of nice for the people who I'm so grateful for, those people on Patreon who give me money and moral support. It's insane. I still feel like it's kind of surreal, but I am appreciative. If you're in the market for some a little more uh, assistance, guidance, accountability when it comes to fitness, health, habit forming, all that fun stuff, go ahead and check out my Patreon. I'm Mike Catherwood on Patreon. I will put the link in the show notes. And let's get started. This, the very first patron-exclusive question and answer, Mikey Likes You. All right. Hi, Mike. This is from David Davenport. Could you speak a little bit about the use of nicotine, not in the context of being used in conjunction with tobacco? I've started using a product called Zine and smoke a nicotine vape pen every once in a while and definitely feel some dependency starting to occur. Of course, nicotine is addictive, so that is not a surprise to me. Should I be concerned that I could be getting addicted to nicotine, or is it similar to caffeine in that I am addicted to it, but it's pretty inconsequential? Incredibly good question. So, look, all you guys know I am a big fan of the drug nicotine for its many uses, and it's really, really misunderstood. Most of the time you attach this stigma to nicotine, you're, atta- you're actually attaching it to the form in which you get nicotine, the, the delivery service um, with, you know, vaping, smoking, blah, 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 chewing tobacco. But the drug nicotine in and of itself is actually quite beneficial. Not only is it not harmful or innocuous, it's, it's beneficial. A uh, lot, of, lot of cognitive benefits, a lot of appetite suppression benefits, and metabolic boost, that kind of stuff. It's legit. There's ample proof now and scientific, conclusive scientific proof. I prefer using the uh, Lucy products. Not only do they sponsor me, but I actually know the guys and gals behind Lucy because I had always wanted to create my own nicotine product because I love it so much and I believe in it so much, and I think people misunderstand it. Um, I had these wild ideas about uh, a nicotine pill, and it turns out, you can't digest nicotine um, without, like, salival gland involvement and stuff like that. So it's not something you could just take in a pill, like powdered nicotine, and then have it uh, pass through the gut. But these people at Lucy, they are legit scientists, okay? Uh, Caltech, proud Pasadena people, uh, high-level scientists that have really broken down the science behind nicotine, which, again, shows that it's actually quite healthy and beneficial, the reality is, is that it is absolutely an addictive chemical. Now, so is caffeine, as you pointed out. And, you know, there's a reason why everyone in uh, 12-step programs smokes tons of cigarettes and drinks tons of coffee, because it is a addictive chemical, but it is not one that is going to have a long-lasting impact on your behavior or create anything more than just a physical dependence, okay? Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes or, or tobacco use isn't dangerous. Of course it is. Um, and I know a lot of people have this weird feeling about it because it's like, well, you're trying to quit drinking. You're trying to quit do, using drugs. 
you're, you're killing yourself with cigarettes. I get that. I'm not trying to make some moral um, argument towards the benefits or the downsides of, of tobacco or caffeine. What I am saying is that um, there is a, 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 a real large, as far as like, as far as the content of this argument, there's a large difference. Although it may seem slight from an outsider's point of view, there is a difference between dependency and addiction. Addiction enacts certain activity in your brain that makes you change. Okay? Dependence um, on chemicals like nicotine, like tobacco, makes it so that your body feels uncomfortable when you don't have it. You build up a tolerance, you get accustomed to it, you like it, and then, you know, sure enough, if I don't have my coffee, I wake up with a headache. You know, uh, until I get that caffeine boost. If I don't have my nicotine, I, I kind of feel a little bit lethargic. Um, you know, so yes, absolutely, you will build up a dependency on this physically. But it is not something in the long run that you have to worry about where you're going to start, like, you know, robbing your kids so that you can get your, your nicotine fix. In the same way, it's very similar to, to coffee. Um, caffeine has a, a long list of positive benefits. And, you know, caffeine that you get from coffee specifically has a lot of health benefits. But, you know, overuse or abuse of it is, can be bad. And then you uh, absolutely develop a, a physical dependency to it. Um, overall, as far as the deleterious effects that it's giving you and your body, nicotine does fall in almost the exact same category as caffeine in that the deleterious effects are either non-existent or so marginal that it absolutely is outweighed by the positive benefits, okay? Now, um, with caffeine, I, I'm a big proponent of that. Obviously, don't ingest caffeine in a fashion that's going to take away from your sleep because sleep is one of the more important things you can do to your livelihood, to your well-being, to your health, to your recovery, to your gains, the whole thing, fat loss. Um, but besides that, you know, go for it. Um, if you have problems with anxiety or certain psychological issues that you know, being... Racy is not a good thing, then obviously steer clear. I'm talking about the general public. Um, nicotine is the same way. Um, I wouldn't engage in nicotine use if you are concerned about adopting a habit that you know is going to cause some physical dependency. You know, as someone in recovery, I, 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 I want to point that out. But it is something that isn't mood-altering to the point that it is actually chemically enacting the parts of your brain where if you are a, 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 an addict, biologically an addict, that you're going to have a problem with it, okay? Um, I could absolutely, you know, quit tomorrow. Wouldn't It would just make me feel a bit bitchy. <laughs> Same with caffeine. I've done, I've done the caffeine, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of, break from caffeine for, for, because my tolerance was getting so high. I drink so much coffee. I drink so much, uh, intake so much caffeine that I thought, I, you know, look, I was killing myself with it in the sense that yes, I was harming my sleep. And I was either, this is in the time in like the love line, Kevin and Bean era, where I was waking up at four in the morning, three 30 in the morning to be live on the air at 5 AM. And then I had to do a nighttime show from 10 a 10 PM to midnight. So I was not getting a lot of sleep and I had to be on and going. And I realized that, you know, there was only two settings for me. I was either keyed up out of my mind or I was asleep. 
There was no middle ground. And that's not how a human's supposed to be. So I've done the, the caffeine break, and I encourage it if you feel like it's becoming an issue. But it's not really harming me. Okay? So I, I know that was a long-winded answer, but uh, that is, that's the actual truth. And be very, be discerning with how you get your nicotine. I recommend Lucy not only because I believe in that product absolutely, but I will for, for, uh, for the sake of full disclosure, they are a sponsor of this podcast. I love Lucy products. They make a, a myriad of amazing products that are, you know, tobacco-free and, and can come with four and two milligram clinical doses. Um, but let's, let, let's use me as an example. I'm now using, uh, you know, like two or three, four milligram pouches at a time when I take my nicotine in uh, because my tolerance has gotten higher and my dependency is bigger and that it, it's an addictive chemical. But it's not kind of putting me in any compromising situation being a drug addict because I am. I'm absolutely a drug addict and an, and an alcoholic. So uh, that's just to give you some um, kind of anecdotal real world basis on where I'm coming from when it comes to nicotine. So if you if you if that looks like it's going to be problematic to you, you know, spending the money on the Zine or the Lucy, whatever product you get, um, when four milligrams or two milligrams becomes something that's not cutting it, you're going to up it and you're going to keep doing that. And I'm saying that the real downside, because the level of toxicity, you know, with those two aforementioned drugs is preposterously high. It's not something that you're going to, you know, you're not going to get alcohol poisoning or an overdose or something like that. Unless you, I, unless you are a rat that gets injected with like 600 milligrams. All right. I want some advice on my legs from Serena Nicholson. Now, Serena Nicholson's got some pretty fucking nice legs to begin with. I'm adding weight every week and pushing good weight for someone my size, and nothing is changing. I am a stickler for form, and I just don't know what to do. My legs are just not growing. Great question. Thank you, Serena. The, the funny thing about legs, okay, um, and this is, I found personally, I don't have a lot of science to back this up. With legs, I do. With, with arms, I, I feel like it's limbs. But with your torso and your, your booty and, and hip musculature, you know, so, you know, chest, back, upper back, lower back, and your glutes and your, your hips. I don't think there's anyone worth their salt who's going to say that high volume, low reps is, is just as good. It's not. You want to build a big, wide, beautiful back, man or woman, old or young, you got to get nasty. Same goes with chest. There's a, you know, you're talking about like the, the mixture of fast twitch and slow twitch muscles. Um, I'm not saying there's no value to high volume training or, or lower weight, higher rep training, but it doesn't seem to be as effective in the long run. If you're not cycling in those periods, those blocks where you're just getting dirty and lower reps, you know, six to eight reps, maybe even lower five, something like that, where you're getting heavy weights and really putting in and taxing the fast twitch muscles, I don't think you're going to make any gains in your upper body. Now, with legs and with arms, I do think, like, you're just not going to get the same growth or the same kind of uh, density with using high weights and lower reps all the time something about it something about legs in particular and i again i found it personally with my arms and i know other people have too 
where going up 15, 20 reps is like the only way to really stimulate growth. If that's, if that's your uh, main goal. Now, legs are funny because some people really don't want to grow their legs. A lot of females, I know Serena has pointed out that she, you know, she being a female wants to, but she's also shredded. She's a very, very shredded, lean person, and maybe she just wants to balance out her upper body to her legs, much like I do. I am not someone who's like really um, excited about the idea of gaining any mass, except in my legs, because I've done a pretty good job for a guy my size in shoulders and chest and you know back and things like that. But my legs, proportionately, although they may be lean, although they have muscle, they're not the same size. So I'm always looking at ways to stimulate leg growth. And I found, and this comes not only from me and my experience, but from a guy who I absolutely know is practical and always makes effective choices, both dietarily and training-wise, and that is Stan Efferding. Stan Efferding is the strongest professional bodybuilder on the planet. He came from the world of powerlifting, and he got a bug up his ass when he got huge because he was a very small man, and he grew to be a very big, very big, strong man. And he said, I want to really go after it with bodybuilding. And he started working with Flex Wheeler, who is a legendary IFBB pro, really just like a top-tier professional bodybuilder from the 90s. And when he moved down to Venice Beach, my old stomping ground, and started training with Flex, no squats. No five reps of this. No, they, they skewed all of that, and they were doing 20 reps of everything. I recommend it, too. Now, when you hear 20 reps of everything in legs, you're like, okay, cool. I'll just lighten up the weights, go really light, and I'll just pump out some 20 reps. No. I want every set to be horrible at 15, but you get to 20. And when you do that with... Hack squats, leg press. Um, if you if you can if your cardiovascular system, if your health can take it, doing it with back squats, I would definitely recommend opting for high bar squats, not low bar squats, because it will put too much. Twenty reps of low bar squats will put too much undue stress on your low back. But high bar squats, twenty reps of that with real weight, where you're really challenging yourself every time. Um, it'll keep you lean, and it'll make your legs grow. Um, I found when I'm more concerned with growth, I skew the back squat, even though I love it, but I'm already lean. You know, for you guys out there who are guys and gals who are trying to make body recomposition, body fat loss, muscle retention, or even slight muscle gain, I do think the deadlift, the back squat, they, they should be in there because hormonally they're doing things. Metabolically, they're doing things. But when I'm just purely concerned about like, fuck that, I want to get bigger legs, hack squats, leg press... Um, all the different forms of leg curl, lying, seated, uni-leg. And I go 20 reps of everything, four sets, three to four sets. And it's so hawks, and you can't walk. But something about that, the muscle composition, the low, uh, the mixture of low, uh, excuse me, slow twitch to high twitch, fast twitch, in the lower body, something about it, I do think that those higher rep ranges, but you've got to really push yourself, okay, with the weight. You can't just go high reps for the sake of high reps. You've got to go high reps to the point that it's fucking miserable to get 20. It's still looking at that progression, that linear progression. You know if on leg press you got six plates on each side for 20, next time you better be going six plates on each side with a 10 added on each side for 20. Or 
If you can't do that, shortening your rest periods. And I, I, I will, trust me, it will have a profoundly positive effect. All right, let's go. Delatmic. Delatmic, Mike? When on a calorie deficit, do carb choices matter in terms of weight loss goal? In theory, as long as you stay with your macro goals and caloric deficit, you should still see progress even if you had tortillas. That is true. Now, do carb choices matter as long as you're in a caloric deficit? No. Do they matter to weight loss? Slightly. Here's my point. The last part of the word carbohydrate is hydrate. What does that mean? They help pull water into your muscle cells. Carbohydrates absolutely do that. And one of the biggest tricks to a ketogenic diet is that you pull your carbs out and you're like, fuck, I lost 10 pounds this week. Well, eight pounds of it was water. Maybe more. Um, That's because when you deprive your body of carbohydrates, you absolutely lose a lot of water. So technically, carb choices do matter, even if you're in a caloric deficit. When it comes to weight loss, is it going to matter to fat loss? No, it's not. Not in the long run. Absolutely not. And if it is more manageable for you and more sustainable for you to eat tortillas and stay in a caloric deficit, as long as your protein levels are high, you will have the same results as someone who drops their carbs to zero. Now, professional athletes of the physique kind of genres, you know, professional models, professional um, bikini models, professional bodybuilders, professional fitness models, blah, 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 blah. When it comes to the end of the diet, a lot of times carbs get pulled. Why? It helps them rid themselves of water. They don't have any more body fat to lose. And it definitely will give you that added oomph when it comes to like the, the shredded look. But that's not what most people are dealing with. You're talking about body fat loss. When you're, for a guy, 16% and above, and you're a girl and you're 20-something percent and above, You don't have to worry about water weight. Worry about what you can do to be in a high-protein, sustainable caloric deficit. And some people really like eating higher fat levels and lower carbohydrate levels. Then you should do that. Some people are so miserable doing that that they should eat fruits and tortillas and, and, uh, you know, good carb sources and keep it in there and still maintain that diet. But what do you have to do to maintain a caloric deficit? Then you got to pull the fat down a little bit. I'm not saying pull it all the way down. You don't need to be eating tilapia and egg whites like, you know, bodybuilders in the 80s did. But you can't eat ribeye and sweet potato. you got to make the choice. And if you're going to go with, I like my fruit and my sweet potato and my tortillas, then you can't be eating ribeye. you got to be eating uh, leaner. Again, not 0%. You don't have to go all the time with tuna, chicken breast, egg white. What you need to do is choose you know, the sirloin, uh, the 7% ground turkey, things like that. So uh, understand that outside of protein, protein is a given. It has to be high. So you got to play with the other two macros, the carbs and the fat. And if you're someone who likes to have their carbs a little higher, you got to pull the fat down lower. And if you're someone who likes to have the fat higher, obviously got to pull them carbs down lower. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is a good question from Shane Blanchard. Good old Shane. When doing deadlifts properly, should you feel and fatigue in your low back? I've been feeling much more sore in my glutes and hamstrings as I've worked on my form. That's a good thing. But I still feel sore in my low back. Maybe it's normal, but I like coaches' confirmation. Um, great question. No. The lower back, your erectors, 
are not a prime mover of the deadlift. They are not. They should never be that way. If they are, your form is bad, you're using too much weight, or a good combination of both. The prime movers of the deadlift are immediately on the pull. Your lats, your inner back, the muscles along your spine and the upper back, your hamstrings, and then subsequently your glutes. And driver, your, your quads at the very beginning, right? When you're driving off the ground. It's essentially a leg press, right? Martin Leitzies, and I put a video up of it uh, on my Instagram uh, a while back. He's a, you know, one of the strongest people in the world. And he's an excellent deadlifter. And he says, you know, you think of the deadlift like two separate exercises. From below the knee, it's a leg press or, or a squat. And then from the top of the knee and all the way up, it's a Romanian deadlift. And that's what you got to think. And so it's great that your hamstrings and your glutes are feeling it. That's great. You're getting into the territory where you need to be. But if you're still feeling it in your low back, there's a problem. And what that problem typically is, is too much weight. And what that does is it makes you lose the tightness in your lats. What do I mean by that? Well, you go to pull, right? You go to pull and you're here and the weight pulls you down and you start to then use your lower back to try to get things up. What you should be is here, tight, maintaining that tightness where your shoulder blades are back and your posture is here and proud. Proud posture. Think of uh, God when you're down at the bottom. God has put a fishing hook in there and there's a fishing line going up to heaven and he or she is pulling up like this. So you're here and then subsequently you tighten your lats. Shoulders down. Don't want to hunt. Shoulders down. And these lats here, they're so tight that everything becomes rigid. So that when you ignite yourself and then you pull off the ground, your legs, your quads, and your hamstrings, and your glutes, they're doing their work. But this stays rock solid so that then subsequently when the legs are getting done doing the majority of their work, the lower body, it's your traps and these areas, you know, the middle trap, upper trap, and then this area up here in the upper back that's feeling all the stress. It wasn't until I checked my ego and got my form really good that I started getting crazy sore in my traps when I deadlift to the point that I stopped doing any type of traditional trap exercises and my traps started really growing. For the first, I, I used to waste so much time doing crazy shrugs and stuff. And I'm not saying don't do them, but what I'm saying is, is like all the time I spent and effort I put into shrugging, it didn't amount to half the growth and the benefit that I saw in my traps and my upper back from just learning how to deadlift properly. Okay? So, in the interim, if that means you have to drop weight considerably, fine. Fine. Okay? Deadlift is unlike any other exercise. I've never heard anybody be like, I can bench press 450 pounds. What the fuck? It's fucking amazing, dude. You're like 200 pounds. That's crazy. Yeah. Let me see. Oh, oh, I'm down here. Oh, there. Shake it. Boom. And then they somehow get it up. Uh, I'd be like, well, you didn't really technically bench press that. Uh, but but yet people do that with deadlift all the time. They do these weird distorted uh, Romanian deadlifts or like almost like Ham Jefferson curls or their bodies like this. And they're like, I deadlifted this. Month. I'm like, well, mm, 
you didn't deadlift it. You did something similar. But you're, you're so married to this idea of doing crazy amounts of weight that you distort the whole thing. And then subsequently, you don't get the benefit of it, and you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to hurt yourself. It's only a matter of time. Shitty form in the deadlift, it, it, it can work for a while. And that's why it's so treacherous, because you can get tricked. It can work for a while. But eventually, the, something's got to give. And usually, it's a disc or a fucking snapped spine or some shit. And uh, trust me, you will get more out of doing five perfect deadlifts with 225 than you will with doing one or two shitty ones with 315. I don't care what any bro is thinking about you or the fact that you can't post that on Instagram because you're not pumped on it. Who gives a fuck? I can tell you who doesn't give a fuck. People who are really jacked. No one, no one gives, I've never once seen a kid deadlifting 135 pounds and thought to myself, what a pussy. Never happened. I have many times seen people put on four plates and have no ability to deadlift it and then try everything they can to do it and then high five their bros and be like, oh shit, look at this fucking dickhead. And I'm pretty sure I'm representative of most people who actually have some level of progress, Okay. So, trust me, I am not saying eschew the deadlift. What I am saying is, like, check your ego and really nail it. And there is way more benefit into checking your ego and lowering the weight and getting your form perfect, okay? Here's another cue. Film yourself deadlifting. Oh, shit. Almost knocked over my guitar. Film yourself deadlifting. If you're back, you know, you get yourself locked in. If your back is at this angle at the bottom, your back should stay at that exact same angle from your hips the entire time. Boom. As soon as you lift, your, your legs and your back should come up at, in an equal amount of speed. If you know, you know you're using too much weight if you do this. Here, here. Your legs go to pull. They can't get it. So in order to make up for that and compensate, your legs straighten because your, your quads couldn't pull it off. So then you have to end up doing the rest of it with your low back and your hamstrings. Okay? It should be whatever angle you have to here, and then you It has to stay at that same angle. Okay? So film yourself. Sometimes even use really low weight and get like a dowel or a broomstick and put it on your back and see if it stays at that same angle. All right. Shane Blanchard again. Another good question. I'm literally breathing hard from deadlifting zero. What amount of time is acceptable for a break or a pause before you start losing your gains? Another great question. Um, it's really tough to say. Science shows a bunch of different shit. It's mostly dependent on your level of experience and the amount of muscle mass that you've gained up to that point. A real expert, advanced level lifter, bodybuilder, trainer can get away with a pretty considerable amount of time. Uh, honestly, it's like it's way more than you think. Um, but I think a, a, a good rule of thumb is about 10 days. An abject beginner, it actually is pretty short. 
because your body's just becoming accustomed to developing protein th- synthesis and form and learning to fatigue and damage the muscle cells. Um, and you need more stimulus because you're kind of adjusting to the ability to train. Now, here's one of the weird things about training. The more, the better you get at it, the less you truly have to do. In the sense that someone who's a professional strength trainer of any sort, whether it be a professional athlete in a ball sport, you know, football players, a wrestler, um, a professional bodybuilder, professional strength trainer, uh, power lifter, or professional Olympic lifter, competitive Olympic lifter, something like that, this man or woman is so good. Their form is so efficient, and they're so mentally in tune with contraction and ability that what he or she can get out of one set pardon me, is what most people can get out of five. And that's the truth. And that's why I always tell people go to failure is because I know that going to real muscular failure probably isn't overall very beneficial. It isn't as beneficial as getting in the territory of it. But when I tell people go to failure, 99% of people are going to get near it when they call it quits. Because going to real muscular failure is fucking crazy hard. And I I don't think I do it all that often. I do do it. Um, But Lyle McDonald's wrote a lot of great um, studies and and, and done a lot of great posts about this. And Lyle McDonald is a very smart man and knows his shit. But I do think people should train in in that realm. So I just tell people, go to complete muscular failure because I know that the overwhelming majority of people are just going to kind of fucking flirt with it and then call it quits because that's really where you want to be. But, you know, a super advanced trainer, a super advanced athlete is going to hit it and is going to be able to hit it in one or two sets. Most people cannot do that. It is not. It's not something that comes easy. It's not something that comes naturally. You have to get really good. Your form has to be awesome. And you have to be really kind of buddies with the pain, the horrible, excruciating pain, and also have the nobility to understand what is pain um, of I'm hurting myself versus what the pain of actually achieving muscular fa- healthy muscular failure. So if you are someone who has less than a, a year or two of training, real training, you probably don't want to take more than a week off. If you are someone who is advanced level, you can go ahead and take two weeks off, and you'd be surprised how little you'll you'll lose. You might lose strength, not necessarily because you're weaker, but because the neuromuscular kind of connection to doing it frequently goes away. It, it's a skill unto itself to, to weight train. Um, let's see here. Chris Simantz. I'm going to turn on the air conditioner. Chances are, oh, chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you're interested at least somewhat in weight loss. So before we continue the show, I wanted to talk a little bit about Noom. Noom really understands that everyone's weight loss journey is very unique and what works for someone else isn't going to necessarily work for you. So Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible, focuses on progress, not perfection, allowing you to work toward goals at the pace you're comfortable with. So start building better habits for a healthier, long-term result that you're looking for. Sign up for a trial at Noom, that's N-O-O-M dot com slash B-L-E-A-V, believe, that's what I'm talking about. 
Again, that's Noom, N-O-O-M.com slash B-L-E-A-V, all right? Personalized lessons to help you gain confidence and practical knowledge, one-on-one coaching, and a cognitive behavioral approach that teaches you how to be mindful about your habits. Come on, now's the time. It is noom.com slash believe. That's noom.com slash believe. Chances are you have the wrong idea about the wonder drug that is nicotine, okay? But in reality, there's nothing wrong with nicotine. In fact, there's a lot good about nicotine. It, It helps suppress appetite. It helps boost metabolism. It has great cognitive benefits. The problem is, is that most of the time, the way we get nicotine is gross. You know, vaping, smoking, chewing tobacco, whatever it is. That's where Lucy comes in. Lucy has your back. Lucy capsule nicotine pouches and lozenges and gum, they're all fantastic. They all taste great. Four or eight milligrams of a nice clinical dose of nicotine where you get all the benefits with none of the downside, okay? Lucy is a great product designed for people who want the benefits of nicotine without the downsides of traditional ways of getting it. So, Mikey Likes You listeners, go to lucy.co, use the promo code Mikey to get 20% off your order of Lucy Nicotine Capsule Pouches or any other Lucy products. That's lucy.co. Use promo code Mikey at checkout. And I have to let you know that this product contains non-tobacco nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical, lucy.co. Be sure to use that promo code Mikey. My only gripe about Texas, I love it here, man. I love it. I love the people. I love the culture. I love living on a farm. I love it. My only gripe is... uh, No rhyme or reason to the weather. It was fucking butt-ass cold, and my wife, for once, justifiably turned off the air conditioner earlier today because it was getting in, like, you know, the 50s. It's fucking piping hot now, all of a sudden, and it's like, I just looked at my thermostat, 78 in my house. It's too hot. Stop it, Texas. (laughs) All right, uh, good question. Any tips on ramping up the fat numbers with keto diet? I keep falling short on fat and with calories. I get this question a lot, and I don't get it. Any tips on ramping up the fat? Eat more fat. The fuck's the problem? And I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm genuinely confused. I get uh, I have top tier clients that are like, oh yeah, well I hit you know, uh, I know you said you know I should be at like 2,200 calories, and we've worked that out, and I was losing a pound a, a week at 2,200, but I I keep getting to 18, and my fat numbers are like half of what you want. And these are people who like want to go keto. And I'm like, we'll eat more fucking fat. And they go, what do you mean? I go, we'll eat more fucking fat. Whatever you're eating now, don't eat that. Eat something else that's fattier. As long as you get your protein numbers in, and they don't have to be that high in a tradition, in a real ketogenic diet. That's another thing people, they misunderstand, is that they think that low carb equals, really low carb equals keto. Not if your protein's fucking 2.5 grams per pound of body weight. A real ketogenic diet you have to be jacked to even get to one pound per, body, per gram of body fat, or gram of body weight. A real ketogenic diet should be moderate protein, super high fat, extremely low carb. So if you're getting, you're, you're falling short on your calories and you're falling short on your fat numbers, stop eating egg whites. Don't, that should never be, eat whole eggs. Stop eating uh, sirloin, switch to ribeye. Nothing but ribeye. Nothing but salmon, ribeye, add butter to it. Add butter to anything you're eating. Have a couple tablespoons of olive oil. Monounsaturated fats are amazing for your health. Avocado oil, olive oil. Avocado itself. Coconut. Uh, I will go back to butter. Butter's amazing. 
Now, this is all for people with in, uh, in, on a high-fat diet, okay? I'm not saying it's great for, you know, because I get a real problem with people who are like, I'm going on a diet, so I had bulletproof coffee for the, my breakfast. It was 1,100 calories, but it been bulletproof, no, no carbs. And then I had a salad with, like, fruit in it and shit for lunch, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck? Why would you have 1,100 calories of breakfast if you're, well, what are we doing here? Again, I'm not beating people up who are keto. What I am saying is, like, Understand that regardless of your keto, your paleo, your carnivore, your vegan, if you want to lose body fat, you've got to be in a caloric deficit. And having an 1,100 calorie fucking cup, cup of coffee is not exactly cutting anybody any fucking doing anybody any uh, benefit. All right, getting a little keyed up. Jesus Christ, um, getting your fat up. Switch the types of animal protein you're eating. Eat higher fat animal protein. Add some good quality cheese to it. Dairy calcium has an excellent effect on people who are dieting. There has been conclusive uh, and ample scientific proof to show that. Um, if you're still falling short, have a protein shake with some MCT oil or uh, any of the other oils I named. I do like saturated fats. I don't think they should be demonized in the same way that they have been. Um, but they're also not the panacea that a lot of people see them as, you know, where it's like, I'm just, just going to eat nothing but fucking... MCT oil and coconut butter, and I'm going to be rich. And it's like, well, no, there should be some limitation to that. The one thing I do think more people should take advantage of is the monounsaturated fats. Almonds, olive, olive oil, avocado, avocado oil. These are excellent. These are excellent metabolically. And a great way to get those extra calories and extra fat calories. Um, and have more, have, just be less, but have more fun. If you're still not meeting your calories, have your bacon. Have your cheese. Have your fucking whole eggs and butter. It's a whole upside to a ketogenic diet. It's going to affect your performance. It's going to, you know, you're going to get the keto flu holy. But who cares? I get to have bacon and fucking eggs with cheese. Do it, brother. Uh, hi, Mike. Can you please discuss tips for middle-aged women dealing with hormone imbalances issues? And... Can't lose any weight no matter how good we eat and exercise. I know you touched on this topic a little recently, but would love to hear more advice. And if you can provide some workout tips, short video, that would be so helpful. All right. Well, listen, your training isn't going to vary much. Your training isn't going to vary much no matter what. And I talked about this in uh, the bonus pod I did after I had my wife on when I was focusing really on female body recomposition and how much bullshit you're fed. Your training shouldn't really vary all that much no matter what you're doing. Unless your goal, your absolute paramount goal is athletic performance and something. If your goal is, your paramount goal is looking better naked, your training doesn't change all that much ever. Slight variations here and there. You want to work in a little bit more volume, taper down on the intensity. Sure, I understand. Um, work in some more isolation movements. If hypertrophy is really like your prime goal, I get that. But... In general, people have this idea that, like, I'm going to do, like, you know, my fat-burning workouts, which is bullshit, and my circuits, and my this and that. No, no. The size of your body is completely dictated by how much food you eat. The composition of your body and your performance is going to be wild, very, very dictated by your training and your training style. You know, of course, someone wants to build their aerobic base is not going to do... 
very much in the world of progress when it comes to not ever getting in your aerobic zone and building aerobic base and deadlifting all the time. Someone who wants to have a three times body weight deadlift is not going to get all that much out of spending all their time on the treadmill. I hope that, you know, I hope that makes sense. Now we're talking performance. I'm talking about how you look in the mirror. If that's your prime goal, ain't nothing wrong with that. That's my prime goal. Your, your training doesn't change that much. It's really about diet. Now, when you're talking about hormone situations, I, I am sympathetic to you. Totally, Kim. I really am. Because women's hormonal shit that they deal with when they reach a certain age is way worse than the already bad shit that men deal with. What men deal with when they hit menopause or whatever, you get to a certain age, absolutely, your metab- metabolic kind of activity slows. Your hormone, your good hormones, the testosterone, free testosterone, that kind of shit fucking goes in the tank. Um, sometimes even your ability to just deal with food is different. Ghrelin and leptin things, they get all screwy. It's way worse for women, way worse, okay? Um, so I'm sympathetic, but you can't just sneak in. We can't lose weight no matter how clean we eat or how good we exercise because that's just not, that's not real. That's not biology. Do you have to eat much more strictly? Do you have to be much more careful at 45 than you do at 25? A fucking of course. Of course. But the, the, it's, there's no hormonal situation where you are in a massive caloric deficit and you train like a champion with a professional guiding you and you have high protein and everything's taken care of and you're not getting gains. That doesn't happen. It just has to be a little different. It's just, it is, it's way harder. But you can't, I, I will not allow the, like the narrative of no matter what we do, you know, it's a lot of like the, the people you see nowadays, the 30-year-old girls are like, well, I'm just big boned. I have a slow metabolism. It's like, hmm, nope. I think people grossly underestimate unless someone's on a lot of drugs, genetically super gifted or both, it's really hard to get that like, oh my God body. I don't think most people genuinely understand that and this is not a female male this is life i think plenty of 25 year old dudes are like i've been lifting weights for six months man i just i can't i still don't have like a six pack i'm like whoa what the fuck yeah it's it's hard and you have to diet and you have to really be careful and monitor it and and do that for a long time it's really hard like i said unless you're a genetic freak on drugs or typically a lot of times it's both even my friend, Mike Safi, who is a genetic freak, he has such genetic gifts. He'll play it down, but he and his brother are fucking shredded. They were track stars in high school. You know what I'm saying? Like, he has he has everything going for him. Lots of fast switch muscle, very narrow waist, like, good broad shoulders, the whole thing. And for him to make the goals and to meet the, the, to the progress standards that he sets for himself, it's fucking a full-time job. And he's a god. So what do you think it's like for the for me and for us normal people who don't have genetic gifts? It's crazy. It's crazy hard. 
You know, and I'm not trying to say that to discourage you. What I am trying to say that is to give you that light bulb so you're like, oh, maybe I'm not fucked up. Maybe I'm not doing something wrong. I just need to, I just need to step on my game. Now, there are hormonal situations for a woman reaching a certain age that are absolutely so fucking miserable to deal with that I do think you should absolutely talk to a professional. Talk to an endocrinologist. Get a blood panel done. Because it's not cheating and it's not unhealthy for you to talk to a medical professional who deals specifically with endocrine systems and hormones and things like that and learn how you can positively manipulate things to make your life a bunch better, including starting to actually see some progress in your, your, your exercise and your training and, and, and making the decision to eat right. Okay? But... Um, Let's make it very clear. You get older, it gets harder. It does. Except for certain real weird things like endurance sports. And um, sometimes even gaining muscle can be... It's not... Like, there's this weird thing. I don't know if it happens with women. I know it happens with guys. I know it. Um... But they're like whether you're a grappler or a bodybuilder or like someone who's really into jackness. You don't mature muscularly until you're like older. Like I, I was strong and trained like crazy when I was 21. But I still had like boy shit about me. My wife just got back from New Orleans. She was filming this new project that she's really lucky to be a part of. And it's great. And her co-star who plays her son is just like gorgeous young guy, you know, he's like 22 and he's athletic and lean, you know, like muscular. He's like, he's got it all go. I mean, he's like one of those dudes where he's like, Oh, like Abercrombie model guy. And she was saying like, she has to hug him in a scene. And she was like, it's weird though. He was still like, kind of like soft, you know, even though he was like, you can't, he's six, six pack abs, the whole thing. And she's like, it was different. Like I hug you. It's like hard, like hard and shit. And I'm like, I know it's, it, it's like man strength. It's weird. So jack, getting jacked is, can become easier as you get older. Now, of course, you get to a certain age, it becomes infinitely harder. You know, 70 years old. But, um, and I know any of you wrestlers, jiu-jitsu, judo, grapplers, you know that. Where it's like a kid can be awesome and like a super athlete, but you're rolling with him. And you're like, oh, you're still a boy, though. There's a thing. And then you, you roll with that dad dude who's like, I'm 35, but I was a, I was a you know, Division two champion in wrestling, and you re- you roll with this guy, and you're like fucking shit. You know, I remember I I put my arm around Dan Henderson, and he had to be like 43 at the time, and I, we were taking a picture. I'm like Jesus Christ. It feels you know it it's not like a lean muscular boy. There's a difference. There's a thing to muscular maturity, and bodybuilders at the highest level talk about it, where it's like someone could be a world killer at 21, but then. When they're 31, it's like, oh, and then they really come, and then they start. you start to see guys who can dominate into their 40s. But weight loss, those same fighters I was talking about, if you want to go down a weight class or you want to make weight even in the weight class you've been fighting in, when you're 30, it's one thing. When you're 40, it's fucking impossible. Everything gets harder, except for the, these weird, weird little things. Um, for deadlifts, oh, by the way, sorry, Kim. Go see a doctor, please. It's not, you're not doing anything wrong. You're not, you've gotten to an age and it's like, hey, maybe you have a disproportionately low thyroid. Maybe you have 
you know, some estrogen imbalances. And, and you don't necessarily have to get the bioidentical hormones from a doctor. You know, a little bit of progesterone cream and some, some dim. Could be, it could fucking change. It could change you like that. And it's just like that's what you have to start dealing with. You don't give up. You roll with the punches, man. Don't fist fight reality and start pretending like you're 21 again. It's like, well, I've, since I can't do what I did when I'm 21, I'm going to give up. No, no, no. You, you work with reality. You don't fight it. You're at a certain age. Go to the doctor. Go to the doctor. Have him or her give you a blood panel, really check you out, and assess it. Your, your, you know, um, and I'm not talking out of school here because she's been very open about it as well as her husband. But um, bioidentical hormones and working with her hormones saved Dr. Drew's wife, Susan. Saved her. Changed everything about her life. Her mental health, physical health, all of it. It was just like so radically changed by making small teeny shifts into how she manipulated her hormones because she's getting older. And now, like, I will say, I'm not just saying this because Drew's my boy. Susan Pinsky is a fucking dime piece, though. I mean, she's creme de la creme. For a woman her age, that is like the standard of what <laughs> you should be shooting for. Because she looks, uh, you know, she's like J-Lo level. I think J-Lo's like 53 or something. And I'm like, God damn, J-Lo looks better now than she did when she was a fly girl on on. In living color. Absolutely. Um, now, granted, look, when you're talking J-Lo, you're talking the Kardashians or the Rocker, you, you could think like, okay, well, there's a little bit of plastic surgery, whatever. Fine. I don't give a fuck. You can have all the plastic surgery you want. To look like that takes insane amounts of discipline and work and, and investment in yourself. Now, I don't mean just financial investment. Um, also... Don't assume that I'm saying go get on hormone replacement therapy because, like I said, it could be something very slight, which means start avoiding certain foods and adding certain in. And then also, like I know, uh, over-the-counter progesterone cream, some DIM, some Indo-3-carbinol. These are all things that can have a profound effect if you just start using a little bit of it and starting to really identify certain foods that are going to cause you problems versus ones that aren't, okay? But I'm also now getting to the territory where I am – it's outside my pay grade. I don't feel it's appropriate for me to start recommending actual compounds. What I want you to do is then talk to the medical professional so he or she can then guide you in the right direction. But I know that I'm at least – I always look at myself like a great mechanic. I may not – I may be able to fucking kick ass with transmission, but I may not be a very good guy when it comes to doing body work. But I know the right guy to talk to. A good mechanic could do that. You know, I'll change your oil. I'll fucking patch that flat. But I'm I'm not I'm not a fuel injection specialist. You want to you know want to get a supercharger, maybe turbocharge this fucking uh, this this Hemi. I'm not I'm not your guy. But I know the I know the guy and gal adopted. Okay, and I feel the same way. I'm not the guy who can sit here and recommend your hormone protocol, but I know what you should do. And it's go talk to a medical an endocrinologist, not just not just any doctor. Maybe go talk to your personal doctor. And have he or she recommend an endocrinologist in the area. But that's that's my best, best piece of advice. All right. For deadlifts, my biggest issue beyond keeping my form in check while increasing weight, I guess, is simply keeping my grip on the bar. Do you recommend using gloves or anything to work on my grip strength? Thanks. From Sean B. Let me say this now. And this is not to you, Sean. 
This is to the world. Don't ever wear fucking gloves lifting weights. I don't care who you are. Shut the fuck up. Maybe you're a hand model. But chances are there's zero hand models watching or listening to this podcast. So I'm safe saying fucking don't ever wear gloves. You say, but my hands get all rough. Good. Fuck you. Human civilization was built by rough hands. The development of this animal did not come with silky soft hands. Men and women were like longshoremen. Fucking, I gotta, I'm gonna choke this goddamn barracuda out so I can feed my kids. And then I'm gonna go across the frontier in the Dust Bowl and make my way drive this covered wagon. Fuck, yes. Fuck yes. Don't ever work with us. Now, deadlifting and your grip. It's an issue. There's arguments to either way. First things first. I use straps when I am going for hypertrophy or muscle, muscular growth because I can't do six to eight reps of a certain weight. My, to, to get the weight and the rep range that I would need to stimulate growth in my upper back and my glutes and shit, my grip would give out. It's, that's, that's not open for debate. Anyone's would. So I wear straps. But when I'm going for strength, I don't. I use the mixed grip. Everyone should learn to utilize the mixed grip. What is the mixed grip? One hand facing this way, the other hand facing this way. What does this do? Well, when when your grip fails, when you're deadlifting, I'm assuming it fails out, right? Because your fingers can't hold it in anymore. This takes care of it because it's failing out this way and it's failing out that way. Therefore, you get the balance, okay? Most all great strength trainers, be it powerlifters, whatnot, they use the mixed grip. You, there are freaks that can lift fucking 600 pounds with a straight grip, and it's crazy. Good for them. A hook grip, even, like, like Olympic lifters use. Olympic lifters, I don't even understand how they're shot. Uh, that's wrong. Maximize your ability to go with the straight grip, conventional grip, but mixed grip when you're getting into heavier weights, that your grip fails. Also, everyone should train their grip strength, even a little bit. It's so beneficial. It's so beneficial. It has amazing longevity effects, neuromuscular effects. Having a stronger grip is better for you. It just is. It also will help you train everything else. And any of you, uh, law enforcement, military, um, correctional officers, uh, firemen, um, competitive grapplers, you absolutely should be training your grip. It's It's integral. When I first started grappling, as opposed to like getting in, when I got out of it from striking sports, I was shocked at how like stuff that my body was capable of doing, I couldn't capitalize on certain moments because my grip was too weak. And I remember, I'll never forget training with this one dude, this gnarly Armenian dude. He was older, and he wasn't like Jack, really. He was hairy, he was an Armenian, Um, and he was like an older guy. And uh, he was just had like a normal body. He didn't look, he wasn't fat, but he wasn't like, he didn't have some physique that you, and his fucking grip was like a gorilla. And, I'll, and he just dragged all me all over the fucking place. Um, and it was Nogi. He just, he grabbed my wrist and I would be like, fuck, in Foxville. I'm like, what the, 
What's going on here? So anyway, train your grip. The two can be done concurrently. When I again, when I'm going for higher rep ranges, I just there's no amount of grip training that's going to get me to be able to competently stress the muscles that I'm looking to stress when I'm training the deadlift uh, or the or the shrug or something like that. But when I'm training for strength and I'm in a strength block, I, I use the mixed grip and I do I work on my grip strength. I love the Captains of Crush and I just sit there. I have one in my car I, in the little like side uh, like little. Glove holder, whatever it is, like on the side panel of your door. And I just keep it there. And I'm stuck in track. And, I, and uh, uh, my grips improve. Um, I also like fat grips a lot. Fat grips are great. Fat grips are great. Um, and it's essentially just like a rubber block that you put around a dumbbell or a barbell. And it makes it fatter. And it, ha- it increases the strength in your, in your gripping. Um, and play with those. But the first immediate thing that you can do to make a huge change is never ever think of wearing gloves again and then also utilize the mixed grip okay uh, mike can you talk about how to handle giving fitness advice presumably all of us in this patreon put in the work when it comes to the gym okay yeah i would wager to say that we get asked for fitness advice from time to time and i am more than happy to give advice and encourage people throughout their fitness journey. However, if that person is not as devoted to the gym as I am, I begin to judge them as lazy or something similar. If I don't consciously fight against it, this judgment creeps into how I treat this person outside the gym. This behavior isn't healthy and not conducive to eventually getting that person back into the gym. How did do you deal with people ignoring your advice, even if it will do them good, and not let it sour your relationship with that person. Jake D. That is a fucking amazingly good question. Thank you, Jake, for asking that. It's such a good question, and I don't want to flippantly answer it. Here's something I had to learn, and it took me years. What someone does or does not do almost always has to do with what's genuinely, viscerally important to them. It usually has very little to do with laziness or a lack of willpower. This is why I think that people have a really, really, really Unfortunately, negative and misguided view of overweight people. Because I'm not going to say always, but certainly the majority of the time, this is what I've realized. It's not that they can't, they don't have the self-control. It's that we don't understand people's past. How someone got from coming out of the womb to where they're at right there in that point in their life, there's trillions of little experiences, and there's trauma, and there's celebration, and there's success and failure, and all of it gets mixed into this weird goulash that makes people feel and think sometimes beyond their own control about every issue in their life. 
I'll give you a, a perfect example in my life. Because I have a very hard time really pointing out any of like my positive attributes or patting myself on the back or something. But one thing I can say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm not lazy. From when I was a custodian or, or hanging drywall or moving furniture from my uncle's party rental place all the way up to when I was hosting nationally syndicated shows or on TV shows with millions of people watching. I always willing to to work my ass off. I love it. I, I enjoy. I, I like putting effort into things and seeing some reward. And I don't necessarily need tons of celebration in doing. Just the idea of like really working hard at something brings me um, tremendous joy. And I, I would I would be willing to get any employee. Or uh, uh, or employer or coworker from any job I've ever had that you know to, to come on and, and, and back me up on that. I'm not good at a lot of stuff. I've probably been bad. I was bad at um, certain construction jobs. I wasn't very good compared to some of the these other dudes that were just zooming through there. But I always tried my best and I always worked hard. But I was a terrible student. Terrible. And I put zero effort in grade school. How about grade school? I don't really remember that clearly. But certainly middle school, high school, all the way up to the small amounts of time I was in college. Uh, I didn't. I didn't do homework or study ever for anything, and got. D's and F's and sure enough like you would expect and but I certainly wasn't because I didn't want to do the work I didn't stare at my books like oh man I could just play video games or I could do this I'd rather just eat Cheetos and play video games no I genuinely didn't feel like it was important because I knew I was I was a fuck up And I wasn't going to do anything white collar. There's just no possibility. I saw those other kids that I was like, that dude, I remember my friend Court. It was like, that guy's smart and good and he's going to do something where he wears a tie. My friend Mark Chen, I remember talking to him. I was like, how the fuck? You're always here at football practice all the time and you do, you're like in a class uh, you know, like the uh, what do they call that? Like when you're class president or secretary, the, the you know he he did was in like class government and all the time, and I, all these extracurriculars. And he was like a straight A student. And I was like, how the fuck? It's really important to me. You know, it was important to me because of the situations that I'd gone through, where I uh, it just it arrived that way. Certainly trauma. There was other areas where it was like successes and failures and sometimes people would say things that would make me feel real good. When I was little, when I was old, it didn't matter. Sometimes people would say things to me that cut me to the bone and made me think a certain way about me and the life around me. And so... uh, I just never 
thought, I never once thought it to be something that I would be interested in or passionate about. I knew it was important. I absolutely understood it. But I, I couldn't even imagine the reality where I would put effort into this. Now, what do I mean by all that? Well, I'm sure anyone that's asking you or any of my patrons or me, they're asking me advice on eating and, and, and training because they know it's important and they want to lose weight or they want to get bigger muscles or they want whatever. But when push comes to shove, when it's time to drive, it just doesn't mean anything to them and they'd much rather do fill in the blank. They would, their heart is not in it. It's not because they're, they're scared of doing the work. It's that they, their heart's not in it. Uh, you know, look, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be very honest with you. There's people in this fitness kind of digital fitness world that crush me in getting numbers and everything. And uh, I'm sure I could take my friend Matt Vincent and, and Brendan Schaub and all these people. They all do big, massive things in like the digital podcasting, video casting world. And I could very easily, with intuition and my experience in broadcasting, piece together what I need to do to make things bigger for me. It's not, it doesn't float my boat. It's not because I'm not willing. I'll grind, man. I'll grind. When I was first with Kevin and Bean, you don't understand. Sometimes I would quite frequently sleep at K-Rock just so that I could come up with something idea and I'd be the first person there so I could do because I, it, would, it meant so much to me. I was so fucking passionate about carving my own way. And Loveline, the same thing. And certain TV projects that I've been working on some have gone well and some have gone but I'm so fucking passionate about it I will uh, I remember when I was doing this animated show uh, where I, it was like something I created <coughs> one of the writers put, put together a, a potential script for episode 2 and she sent it and like 15 minutes later I responded with notes she's like I've never this is a woman who's worked like in a lot of different shows she's like Jesus Christ no one's ever responded like that I was like I can't I was sitting fucking staring at my screen because I wanted to read it and I want to give you my input. So I was so passionate about it. And I feel that way about the gym. And I'm sure you do too by the way you worded your question, dude. And I've, I'm not judging you right now because I've been you doing that where I'm like, what the fuck? Don't ask me shit if you, about how to get rid of your man tits if you're not going to train at all ever and eat pizza all day. Okay. And I was like, uh, no. I, I don't know why. I don't know what it was. But just like I was talking about what makes them feel the way they feel about that, it's the same way I somehow transitioned about, about crazy experiences. A lot of it had to do with recovery. I've gotten to a point now where I know it's not. there's nothing to judge them for. This is my life and my relationship with the gym. If you want advice, I'll give you my experience. I'll give you some insight. But their behavior and their attachment to it cannot in any way affect yours because you still have yours. And the best thing you can do for them is to just like be like, hey, well, I told you how I feel. and I'm going to go train. I'm going to go eat my, uh, my sirloin 
So, peace. Do you have any more questions? I'm fine. I'm happy. But don't, you know, I just don't get in my way of, you know, doing your thing. It's your relationship. I can't tell you how many dudes, some chicks, but mostly dudes, they call me or they talk to me or they DM me and they're like, I'm having a real hard time with my drinking. I'm having a real hard time. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I seriously feel for you. What can I do, Mike? I need your help. I go, all right, well, um, this is what works for me. And by the way you worded your message, I can see you're really struggling. And I, and I, and I, I, don't, I don't know much, but I can tell, like, this isn't going to end well, dude. And I think you need to get professional help. You need to go to an inpatient facility because this has gone beyond willpower. You can't control this anymore, man. And you're going to die, or you're going to crash a car and kill someone, or you, whatever. And they'll write back, well, I can't do that. I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm that, that, that bad. Two messages ago, they were telling me they drink, you know, three pints of vodka a day. And they have to, you know, they have to take their booze into the shower with them, you know. I've gotten a divorce. I've gotten fired from the shower. But I don't know if it's that bad. I mean, I think I can control it. I was like, all right, shit. I don't look down on that guy. That guy's not doing... I... Because... I have my own relationship with alcohol and drugs. That's it. And their willingness or motivation is not my responsibility. I did what I can. I gave them my experience. I hope... I sincerely hope it could have helped. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it didn't. But the good that you do, you don't do it to change the world. Do it in spite of the fact that it probably won't. Probably won't change people's relationship to food or their relationship to the training or their desire to get good grades or their desire to get clean. Just do it because... Hey, man, you, you think I have something to impart to you? I'll give it to you. But their attachment to the relation, the stuff you give them, it's not your concern because you got your own shit. You got your own shit. And so I, 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 I encourage you to continue being that positive influence on people when they do approach you. But it is not your responsibility. And thus they say... Here is umpty umpt amount of money to be my personal trainer. That changes the game. Then you can get on their shit and worry about why they're not showing up. But until then, if it's just if it's just a personal relationship, it's not your gig, dude. It took me a long time to realize that. I had a sponsee. I don't want to get too much into that. It's inappropriate. But either way, I had someone in my life who was trying to get clean, and I had already got about a decade in. To surprise, and um, he or she was really going back and struggling and not showing up to meetings and doing, you know, and fucking pissed me off, man. <laughs> and then I realized, I, I, I don't know, the best thing I could do for him was like, I, 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 I come to you with love. I'm here when you need me. But how you follow through, it's not my gig. You know? And that's how I, I hope that you can figure out to, to get that 
that level of understanding of, of when people come to you. Because it's not going to stop. If you've, if you've made any level of progress, it's not going to stop. You know who I really respect is the people who I talk to um, who they're like, dude, I'll put up some picture, you know, shirtless, and there'll be a guy, I'll talk, a friend of mine will be like, dude, I got to get in shape. What, what do I need to do? I'll be like, oh, <sighs> break it down. And he'll call me after reading the email and be like, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not that motivated. So I just want to let you know. But thank you. Like, props. <laughs> that's that's self-awareness, man. All right, dude. Thank you, A, to all my patrons. Thank you to all my patrons who wrote questions. I hope I did. I, I really tried my best. And then thank you to everyone who listens and supports this podcast. And my Patreon does have spaces level uh, left at all tiers. It's Mike Catherine on Patreon. I will put a link to it in the show notes. And then uh, tell your friends. Spread the word. I want to spread positive insight on things. Oh, one last thing. <clears throat> Two last things. First off, I was watching fucking Ghost Rider. The first time I watched it, I watched it for the Jason Ellis show. They were reviewing bad movies. Ghost Rider is a bad fucking movie with Nick Cage. I was watching it. It just came across some shit on one of the streaming services. I left a, a show playing, and it was Ghost Rider came up. I think from when I watched it for Jason Ellis show. And I was like halfway through, and I, there's a scene in Ghost Rider. This is fucking, oh, it made me so fucking mad. Eva Mendez is his like love interest, right? And Nick Cage, because he's just discovered he's Ghost Rider, his fucking, oh my, I'm on fire, my skin's on fire, I'm Ghost Rider. So he, he fucking ghosts her. He he literally stands her up at a date, right? So she's at this restaurant waiting for Nick Cage. Little does she know his skin, our skin's on fire, I can't make it to the date. So he go, he stands her up. So she starts drinking, waiting for him, right? Well, she's bombed, and he's clearly standing her up. She asks the waiter, a guy, a man. She goes, do you think I'm pretty? And this fucking guy goes, looks at Eva Mendez. Wearing like a loca, never hotter, like this hottest fucking human. She's on fire. I wanted to jump in my TV and fuck it. Because she saw, and he goes, and this is a movie about a guy who gets possessed or makes a deal with the devil and then is invincible and his skin becomes fire. And that was the part of the movie where I was like, that's fucking preposterous. Unbelievable. There's no guy gay enough. I have friends of mine so gay, love man butt, and any of them would be like, well, yeah, you're fucking amazing looking. It's preposterous. Whatever screenwriter put in, the waiter goes, eh, I don't care if he has been like just the gay. He's the gay. He hates vagina. He still has eyeballs and goes, oh, shit. In the same way that no one's hornier for chicks than me. I love vagine. I love it so much. I'm gross. 
if Jared Leto was in a restaurant and I'm a waiter and he goes, do you think I'm handsome? I'd be like, fuck, yeah, you are. She didn't ask, do you want to fuck me? She goes, he goes, do you think I'm pretty? He's like, mm-hmm. fuck you. If Idris Elba is eating dinner and I'm a waiter, I go, he goes, do you think I'm handsome? I'd be like, holy shit, yeah, you're fucked. Jesus Christ. That's reality. It's insane. Fuck you, scriptwriter for ghostwriter. Secondly, us men have this insane advantage uh, in comparison to women in that we don't have to sit down all the time when we go to the bathroom. So we luck out. When you go to a concert, you go to a restaurant, you go to a sporting event, usually the men's line can go because only one out of every five guys has to shit. We're just in, we pee, I'm out. Women, unfortunately, yeah, it sucks. You got to always take off your clothes and then say. That being said, if you are, because of this, men's rooms only have like one or two stalls and they'll have like numerous urinals, right? So if you're occupying said stall, no phones for you, fuckface. I'm making a rule. Tell me if you should. Men of the world, support me or not. If you are shitting in public, no phone, no reading, shit and get out because there's only a limited amount of shitting spots. I was at Home Depot shopping for lumber. And I had to shit so All of a sudden, I was like, oh, fuck, I got to go to the bathroom. You go to the bathroom to shit. Both stalls occupied, right? I can look through the little cracks in the, the stall door. Both dudes like this. I'm like, dude, I didn't say this because I'm a pussy. In my head, I'm like, dude, if you finished evacuating, let's go. You can go on Instagram any other time. You know, because you're a dude. You know my pain. I'm going to shit in my pants. Why? Because you're fucking scrolling through some Instagram model's fucking feet. Fuck you. No male reading in the shitter in public. Thank you. In this crazy mix-up world that makes him because nobody cares. Remember, I do. Be good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.